Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock. Aaron has served as a pastor, chaplain, professor, writer, and speaker, and he has a keen interest in helping other Christians think Christianly about all of life. On this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Eelman, and today's title is Immigration in a Properly Ordered Society. The words race, multiculturalism, and immigration, those are all terms that we regularly hear in political discourse and discussions about cultural theology. But how do we define these terms, and should we be supportive of mass immigration or multiculturalism even for that matter? So Aaron, why don't you introduce this topic further, and then we'll have a lot, I'm sure, of follow-up questions. Well, as you state, many people are talking about issues of race, multiculturalism, immigration, and oftentimes these terms can all get sort of mashed together, resulting in accusations of racism if you support immigration reforms or if you question the the how or the why of immigration, or you can even be accused of being a racist if you don't support multiculturalism, one of Canada's sacred cows. So in this episode, we want to help define these terms and differentiate between so-called race and culture and point out the impossible nature and the folly of multiculturalism. So to begin with, I would like to issue some disclaimers. I want to talk, first of all, about what this podcast isn't about, what it isn't about. So number one, hear me clearly, this podcast is not about recommending a specific immigration number. The number of immigrants that a country allows is better left to people who study housing trends and the economic needs of a nation and the number of applications it receives and so forth and so on. I'm not going to get into suggesting, oh, there's a magical number of immigrants that a country like Canada or the UK or the US should invite every year. But I, I want to talk about my my bigger concern. I'm concerned about how, how immigration is being used to change many of the historic values of Western nations. And when I say Western, I mean historically Christianized nations, nations that say things in their charter like, have you ever heard this one before? The supremacy of God and the rule of law. Nations like that, like Canada that have scripture verses plastered all over its parliament buildings that acknowledge the supremacy, not of some esoteric God, not of God, however you want to define him, her, Zay, Zed, Z, but the Christian God. I'm concerned about how immigration is being used to deliberately change the historic fabric of nations like ours and how immigrants are frankly being used by many politicians with anti-Western, anti-Christian ideals to stay in power. And I would just call this manipulative immigration strategy. I'm concerned about how quickly any opposition to manipulative immigration strategy is quickly being labeled as racism. It's like, well, you, you can't question it. You're a racist. No, that's not true. So I want to I want to state that very clearly. It's not about a specific immigration number, but it's about how immigration is being used by anti-Christian, anti-Western politicians to increase their voting block. Frankly, secondly, this podcast is not intended to shame, or to embarrass, or to diminish, or to dehumanize any particular ethnic group that calls Canada or any other country for that matter, it's home. It's important for us to study history. And the historical reality is that it's all a matter of how you count the centuries. Depends on how how you count the centuries because all of us are immigrants. After we left Eden, Mm -hmm. we're all immigrants. And depending on how you count the centuries and use the term, we're all also indigenous to some place. So if you want to go back 500 years, you could say, well, my family's indigenous too, and name your country. And we all are immigrants. Even those that would call themselves indigenous in Canada 
were at some point immigrants to Canada, to what we now call Canada, to the, to the landmass known as North America and even South America. So it's just all a matter of how you count the centuries. And we have, you and I both have many wonderful friends that hail from all over the world. So we're not, we're not intending to shame or embarrass or diminish or dehumanize any particular ethnic group. The third thing I want to state before we go any further is I want to, I want to address right out of the gates this idea of racism. Now, it's important for people to understand that the word race is, in fact, an artificial word. It's a made-up word. Races don't even exist in space and time. We all descend, the Bible is very clear on this, from one man and the woman that was taken from his side. It's interesting that even macroevolutionists would acknowledge that way, way back in their lengthy timeline that there was one original human. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not a macroevolutionist. I think it's baloney. But we didn't, humanity, either in the creational worldview or an evolutionary worldview, it wasn't like humans just popped up here, there, and everywhere on different continents and suddenly started interbreeding. So race is an an artificial construct. So I I categorically reject the idea of race, as should every Christian. Mm -hmm. Frankly, it's unbiblical, it's disgusting, and it's divisive. It's largely a Darwinian construct that is intended to pit, and this is how it's been used, especially by eugenicists, to pit people groups against other people groups, especially when, quote-unquote, scientists, and there was a story of a a professor at the University of Western Ontario back when I was a teenager that was doing this, he was measuring skull circumferences and suggesting that some quote-unquote races, as he would call them, are more intelligent than others. This is a, a horrible thing to spend your time doing. But when you have this construct of racism, you have different people, so to speak, on the planet, well then... You, you tend to be interested in comparing differences, and they, you know, the, the true racists will, will use this artificial notion of racis, racism to divide, to measure intelligence or athleticism or appearance, and it's all wrong. Acts 17, 26, first part of the verse, mirrors and repeats what we observe in narrative form in the opening chapters of Genesis, how God created the world, and then what happened later in Genesis when God divided the world into people groups, ethnoi, we would call them ethnic groups or people groups, families of people. The Bible says, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. So I fully acknowledge that some people groups hate on other people groups, And there are people with prejudices towards other people groups. But in actual fact, this weird artificial notion that we have different races on the planet contribute to that. Mm -hmm. All of us are mixed in our ancestry and then united in our ancestry. So out of Eden, we have Adam and his sons and daughters and, and and the... the people of the earth expand and disperse over the face of the planet. Then we have sort of a a, a narrowing again of the, the 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 human race in the flood event, where much of the human race is wiped out, and out of that comes Noah and his three sons and their wives, and they start to repopulate the planet. And of course, there's branches of families that come out of that. So there's a lot of diversity to the human race. But we all come from one man and the woman that was taken from his side. Mm -hmm. So don't accuse me of being a racist and having conversations about immigration because I actually reject, as should every Christian, the the very notion of of races. Uh, Every man and every woman who's ever lived is created in the image and likeness of God. They are precious and special, and we need to affirm that right out of the gates. Sounds good. So I, I imagine those things that you're setting up are foundational. You've told us what this podcast is not about. 
uh, I'm curious now, what is the podcast actually about? <laughs> what is what is the what is the key? Yeah. Okay, so here's what this podcast is about. So I, w- I want to propose that in a properly ordered society, all of the social structures should acknowledge the supremacy of God. And when I say God, I don't mean God as you know or define him. I mean the God of the Bible. Now, it's important for me to say this. That's not radical. That's written out in the preamble to the Canadian Charter. It's, this, is not, this is nothing radical. It's, it's so strange that when you talk about the supremacy of God over a nation, people are like, oh, that's weird. It's far right. No, it's actually written out in our documents. It's those that would deny the Christian history of Canada, for example, that are trying to rewrite history or deny the realities that are right in front of us on paper. Now, the chances are someone's going to get into the get into power soon that's going to try to change that, but they can't rewrite history. The historical fact of the matter is, is that there was a Christianized, there was a Christian basis, a, a, a pre, presupposition, of, uh, so to speak, that there was a God who revealed himself in Scripture, that he is supreme over nations, that he is supreme over citizens, that the government isn't God, that the government doesn't have the final say on matters of rightness and wrongness, for example, that human beings are innately valuable because God created them. Nothing radical about that. The radical left would want to label people like me radical fringe minority. Actually, I'm a historical Canadian in this respect. So in a properly ordered society, I basically want to paint a picture of how it should work, not suggesting that it does work this way or that it's necessarily going to start working this way in a couple more election cycles. But we have to think about how things should be so that we we can make proper decisions to push a country or move a country in that direction. And in a properly ordered society, I'll say it again, all social structures should acknowledge the supremacy of the Christian God. And therefore, people who want to come into our country, who want to join our country, should be expected to honor that. Nothing particularly weird about that. Said in the negative, people who have an agenda to come into our country to turn our country away from acknowledging the supremacy of God should not be admitted. Politicians that are deliberately trying to bring people into our country to turn people away from our historic understanding that God is supreme over our nation, shame on them. They should be called out. They shouldn't be reelected. Now, it's important for me to say at this point, I'm not... I actually live in the real world. I, I see what's going on in the world around me, and I am not suggesting that Canada is functionally a Christian nation, and therefore we need to invite people in to support what is currently happening in our nation, because much of what's happening in our nation is dysfunctional, yep. and it's dysfunctional because it doesn't reflect the creational biblical laws that historically Western nations were were based on. So in, in some ways, you might say, as much as I'd hate to admit this, this is a bit, a bit more of a theoretical or ideal discussion because we've drifted so far away from our moorings. But again, if if we want to return our society to its Christian roots, then letting people in who deliberately have a very different worldview or want to destroy the Christian mm-hmm. roots of our country is is madness. So... Maybe it would be helpful for us to talk a little bit about culture and nationhood for a bit, because this is really, really important. We we throw these words around culture, nationhood, multiculturalism, and I, and I want to want to kind of unpack these these terms. and And I understand other people may may use them differently, but I this is my podcast, so I get to create my own definitions. <laughs> and and I want to suggest that biblical Christians, in order to kind of wrap their mind around these these discussions of immigration and how we should handle uh, immigration. There's some 
biblical boundaries that we need to to establish. And and one of the things that is maybe a little confusing for many people because we we hear a lot about globalism and world peace, global peace, this idea that if we just all agree to get along, we can issue in some sort of a utopian world is actually contrary to the word of God. So we need to differentiate between the world the way it is now and the world the way it will be in the eschatological kingdom. In the eschatological kingdom, no death, no suffering, no sorrow. The old order of things will pass away. All things will be made new. The unrighteous will be consigned to damnation. The righteous will reign with Christ on earth and the new heavens, the new earth. So we know that to be true. But right now, we are in a world that is still under the effects of the fall. And and those aren't going to be entirely reversed until the Lord Jesus Christ makes all things new. So in this world, this is not what's going to happen in the eschatological kingdom, but in this world, there's such a thing as nationhood. So at Babel, we read about this in the book of Genesis, at Babel, the nations conspired together and God saw that their wickedness, God saw that their radical, we could call it globalist vision, if we can all kind of come together and be united, we can build this ziggurat, this tower to God, no good was going to come of that. So God confused their languages and he divided the human race into various ethnic, what we would now call ethnic groups or families of people. And of course, over time, those families sometimes come together and intermarry, and then they they separate again, or they may be separated by geography or bodies of like bodies of water or landmass or mountains, and then other throughout history, there's wars or there's immigration, and people sort of interblend. But this idea of nationhood was formed at Babel, largely based upon linguistic differences. There's no discussion there about skin color or hair textures. Those sort of just naturally developed over time as people were separated from one another. Certain traits that their forebears would bring would create uh, common traits among their their offspring. And so we have we have this idea of nationhood or nation states. And we don't need to get too much more particular than that. We don't need to say, okay, well, a properly Govern nation state has to have a king, or no? It's better to have a prime minister, or it's better to have a president, or whatever. We're not we're not talking. We're not getting into all those details. Those are those are largely pragmatic considerations. But that verse I read for you earlier in Acts seventeen twenty six goes on to say, having determined, so having 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 acknowledged, there's one one race of people that descend from one man. It then goes on to say, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. So isn't that interesting? So on one hand, there's one global humanity. So races don't actually even exist. But because of Babel, God has permitted the human race to be divided up into nations. It's like, well, why would God do that? Mm-hmm. Well, God does that to restrain the evil that's often associated with human ingenuity. When, when human beings come together and they, they don't acknowledge God, bad things happen. They start to become hyper self-reliant. Or, or let's suppose there's just one giant nation on earth and it's governed by a corrupt leader, a group of leaders. So then everybody suffers the consequences of that. But when you have nationhood and you look at our planet right now and there's what is it, like 190 countries or something like that. Some of them are really bad. Some of them are sort of in between, and some of them are doing pretty good. And, and, and that's there's going to be an ebb and flow to that over the course of history. A country that's really good might drift from its moorings and become really bad, and a country that's really bad might eventually be reformed. And who knows, if, if the Lord doesn't return and someone's podcasting 500 years from now, maybe maybe North Korea will be the harbinger of biblical law and mm-hmm. uh, uh, the light on the hill, and, and maybe you know Canada will be non-existent or just a terrible place, uh, a godless place. We don't know, right? Mm-hmm. History, things change over time. So God 
puts nationhood in place rather than globalism. It's the best option we have in a broken world. And it's it's meant to halt the spread of evil and reduce the likelihood of global um, godlessness. So anyone that thinks that open borders is somehow the loving thing to do, that somehow that's that's well, I, I read about it in in Revelation. You know, when John looked through the portal into heaven, and there were people from all tribes, tongues, and nations worshiping. Well, that's what we should do in the here and now. It's a confusion between the realities of a broken world and the eschatological vision that is going to happen when Christ makes all things new. It's it's naivety. It's ignorance. So anyone who thinks that open borders is somehow the the Christian thing to do that it's the Christian thing to do, just allow anybody into your country, is actually disregarding Scripture. They're putting words in God's mouth. If if this might help, sometimes it's good to give an illustration from a, a much more personal uh, aspect of life to help people understand the global reality. So if a person says, you know what, it's the right thing to do to just open up our borders and let anybody in, well, would you apply that same logic to your house? So you have a deed to your house that has boundaries on it. Nations have borders on maps. So let's take it down to your house. Do you lock your door? Or is your mindset, hey, you know what? Yeah, I, ha- I have a-, a deed. I have boundaries to my property and property stakes in the corner that some surveyor put in place. But I'm just going to keep my door wide open. Anybody that wants to live on my property, squat on my property, build things on my property, use my property, mm-hmm. live in my house, sleep in my bed, I'm just going to let them do it. People be like, that. that's ridiculous. Yeah, it's ridiculous because you know there are bad people out there. You know there are bad people that could come in and harm your family, harm your children, steal your goods, not take care of your property. Now, there might be some people you'd want to invite to live on your property, but that's your prerogative. It's your prerogative to decide who you're going to invite over for dinner, who you're going to allow to live in your chicken coop, who you're going to share your room with as a roommate. That's your prerogative. And in the same way, it's a nation's prerogative to decide who is allowed inside of their borders. Because if you allow people in that are destructive individuals, that's not the loving thing to do. That's a foolish thing to do. And you can actually increase evil and wickedness, which is the opposite of what you think you might be doing. But you can increase wickedness and increase evil by having these indiscriminate immigration policies where anybody, regardless of their ideology, regardless of their religion, regardless of whether they believe in the supremacy of God or not, we're just going to allow them to flood into our our countries because that's the Christian thing to do. No, that's an ignorant, foolish thing to do. And fundamentally, it is a denial of of what happened at Babel and mm-hmm. a denial of biblical nationhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is a, uh, a protective thing that God has given us nations for, protective for preserving society and whatnot. As you mentioned, the household, I couldn't help but think as well about even, and maybe it doesn't quite apply, but marriage, in heaven there's no marriage. So, but we don't behave like open marriages. Well, in society, I guess we do have open marriages that exist now. There's a there's a principle in theology called laws of accommodation. And what we mean by that is not all of the laws that we see in God's word are eternal in nature. Not all of the institutions, as you're mentioning with marriage, are eternal in nature. There's institutions that are limited to the fallen world, or there are laws that are put in place by God, not to reflect eternal ideals, but to accommodate the realities of life in a broken world. For example, the slavery laws of the Bible. People are like, oh, that means the Bible's pro-slavery. No, it's not. It's acknowledging that in a broken world, slavery happens and both in the Old Testament and New Testament, there's principles put in place to not to idealize slavery, but to accommodate, to put checks and balances on it in cultures that practiced it, with ultimately with a view to, to abolition, I, I, would, I would argue, if you look at the trajectory of Scripture. Mm-hmm. So nationhood is not the, the eschatological ideal, but you know, as you've mentioned and I've mentioned repeatedly in this podcast, it is, it is God's plan and purposes for the here and now. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's look at the word culture. Um, I know a lot of people often mistake the word culture with ethnicity. So how would you unpack that? 
Yeah, I, I, I do think there's a conflation of those terms. Think culture, ethnic group, ethnic group, culture, multiculturalism must mean that you value people of all skin colors. These, no, we need to bring clarity to this. Culture, from the word cult, culture is, is not about your ethnicity. It's not about your, your quote unquote, to use the world, the term the way the world uses, it's not about your race. Culture is something different than race. And it's not neutral. Mm -hmm. I mean, there could be aspects of culture that are neutral, like whether you eat a lot of rice or a lot of corn, okay, whatever. Whether you prefer chicken or beef, you could say these are culturally neutral aspects. But culture, properly defined, is 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 a composition of the the values, the laws, the habits the social norms that govern groups of people. And again, it's not, they're not morally neutral. So now how, do, how, is, how does culture express itself? How is culture represented in a people group or in a nation? Mm -hmm. Well, it's represented, first of all, in family structures. So if you're in a nation that says, oh, we're polygamists, well, that's a representation of your values, your view of marriage. If you're in a culture that says anybody can marry anybody, there's no fault divorce laws, men can marry men, women can marry women, that's a reflection of your religious values, your moral values. If you're in a culture that says, no, marriage is one man, one woman for life in a heterosexual monogamous relationship, they're responsible to care for their children, they have authority over their children's education and spiritual development, that also is based on a religious view, and I would argue a Judeo-Christian ethic. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be, your your culture is going to be reflected in family structure. It's going to be reflected in your law codes. So every nation has written laws, municipal maybe, provincial, federal, state level, depending on how your nation's organized. Those laws are, are a reflection of your culture. They're an expression of your culture. Your education, how you educate, who does the educating, what is what is communicated in education. These are all expressions of culture. The institutions, the way you set up your government structures, the, the, the way you, you, you see the relationship between religious bodies and the government, the way you appoint or elect or inherit public offices. These are all a reflection of your culture. And, and of course, the religion or the religions of a people group. These are all a reflection of your culture. So culture can, listen to this, can and should be assessed and evaluated without conflating it with some sort of racism mm -hmm. or attack on your ethnicity. We should all be assessing and evaluating our culture and saying this, I don't like this aspect of our culture or that aspect of your culture is immoral or that aspect of your culture needs to change. Now, again, all people are made in the Imago Dei. We're all made in the image and likeness of God, but that does not mean that all cultures are equal mm -hmm. or are equally righteous. So if you, let's say you could and this would be a bit simplistic, but let's say you could identify 100 distinct cultures on planet Earth. Well, you could actually grade them. If you have a Bible in hand, you could grade them and say the ones that reflect in their family, their law, their educational structures, even their medical system, their institutions, their religions, you could grade them and say, now nobody's going to get an A+, because it is a broken world, but you could say, okay, this, this culture we're going to give it a C plus because it 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 reflects a fair bit of God's laws for how a culture should function, and then you could look at another culture and say that these guys are getting like an F minus mm -hmm. because they they have laws in place or structures in place or views of marriage or views of the family or views of education that are the absolute antithesis to God's uh, laws. So let's talk about examples of a good culture. So if you these, these would be the sorts of things. This is just a smattering of examples. If you have a good culture that reflects God's laws, you would find, among many other things, uh, liberty of religious conscience, because even in Christianity and Christianized nation, nations, 
you're not opposed to putting laws in place to guard uh, the supremacy of the acknowledgement of God's supremacy over all of life, but you don't coercively force people to become Christians, which is one of the big fears people have when you talk about Christianized nations. Do you mean forcing people to become Christians? Of course not. We understand that that's not how the gospel works. Yeah. So there'd be a, there'd be liberty of religious conscience. You would actually prosecute murderers. You'd prosecute pedophiles. You'd prosecute thieves. Increasingly, I think it's in California. There's laws in place where I think you can steal up to a thousand dollars of, and you won't get arrested or something ridiculous like this. These are these are laws that are a reflection of drift from God's laws. Um, you would have laws in place that would permit a person to actually benefit from their labor. When you're working six days and resting on the seventh, you don't then give 60% of your money away to the government in taxes. That's not right. You would have heterosexual marriage laws. Bad cultures, on the other hand, anti-Christian cultures would let people starve because cows are sacred, like we see in uh, India, for example. That's that's not something we champion. We don't say, well, you know, they just have a different view of cows. No, it's wrong to let people to starve. Let people starve because your your laws, your culture has a flaw in it. You you see animals which are supposed to be under the dominion of mankind as being sacred. You you've you've inverted the relationship between humanity and cattle. We're going to criticize that aspect of your culture. We're not going to honor it. We're not going to celebrate that. Beating women who won't submit to you, that's bad culture. We, in, in certain Islamic societies, that's permitted and encouraged. No, we'd say, that we're not going to honor that. We're not, oh, we're multiculturalists. we got to respect. No, we're not going to respect that. We're not going to honor it. Marrying prepubescent girls off to adult men. No, we're not going to permit that in a properly functioning yep. society. Allowing governments to control church worship and ministry. Now, in a properly ordered society, we're not going to allow that. That's why we pushed back against the state during the pandemic, because it's it's reflective of an improperly ordered society. Mm-hmm. When it comes to police, you know, you go down into South American countries, and one of the big, big problems is you have massive police forces, and they're all getting bribed. Mm-hmm. You don't permit that in a properly ordered society. You don't say, oh, that's just multiculturalism. That's just the way they do it in Colombia. No, you say, that's wrong. That's an improperly ordered society. Or um, taxes, if taxes are being used to actually coerce and manipulate rather than pay for public infrastructure, i.e. the carbon fines is what they are, you call that out. That's not a properly ordered society. It's inappropriate. It's immoral. So by implication, Chris, wise rulers will guard any and all aspects of culture that reflect biblical laws, and they will also guard a properly ordered society from outside forces that would come and diminish it. So when I was in Romania, for example, I was talking to my friend, and I said, what what does it take to be a Romanian citizen? And one of the things he said that you need to be a Romanian citizen is you have to learn Romanian. Okay, well, that that makes sense. We have two official languages in our country. We don't require people to learn our languages. So you end up fragmenting nations where you have groups that live in certain areas that there's there's linguistic divide well, is it is it racist to say hey if you're going to come to canada we want you to learn english or french oh that's racist no it's not it's about a properly governed society it's about allowing for lines of communication and interaction and fellowship with one another <laughs> is it a bad thing to say to someone who's wanting entrance into canada hey do you actually believe in the supremacy of god mm-hmm. no i don't i'm an atheist then why are you coming to Canada? Because it's in the preamble to our charter. Oh, that's racist. You're not allowing atheists in. Well, we're trying to make sure that we live in a properly ordered society. And in a properly ordered society, every people group will acknowledge the supremacy of God and the rule of law. This makes this kind of stuff makes people very uncomfortable because they haven't thought about it. They haven't thought about it. So this... We could even say that nations that are that affirm, let me use the word culture, cultures that affirm the creational, biblical, Christian God are superior cultures. It's like, oh, superior, that's like white supremacy. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not about being white. Whatever your skin color is, whatever your ethnicity is, 
and there's many nations around our world that are officially Christian countries. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean everybody's a Christian, but they, they have a basis to their their law codes and their education and whatnot. So no no culture has it all together. Everyone's infected by sin, but the better cultures are the ones that better reflect God's laws in their jurisprudence and their education. And this statement, by the way, that I'm making is not intended to draw attention or praise to the people who champion God's superior laws. Oh, look at us. We're we're more likely to support God's laws and culture, so we are superior. No, no, no. It's not about us. It's meant to point people to the God whose laws are superior over false gods who promulgate false laws Mm -hmm. that destroy people. Now, there's many nations on earth, but let me give you some examples of this. So Cambodia, the official religion of Cambodia is Buddhism. Who's hot to trot to move to Cambodia? There's not mass immigration to Cambodia because the laws of Buddhism ultimately are destructive. Maybe not all of them, but they ultimately are destructive. Pakistan is an Islamic republic. Vatican City is Roman Catholic. North Korea and China are atheists. I've I've been to, to China. This is not a slam on the Chinese ethnic group. This is about their culture. You can feel the atheism. The way you're treated, it's different than when you're in Western nations. The USA, the UK, Canada were historically Christian. And where do people tend to immigrate? They immigrate to countries that are historically Christian because of the things I mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. because God's laws are superior. And when they're put into practice in a nation state, you get individual soul liberty, you get the retention of your income, you get property rights, you get... freedom of religious expression, you get free speech. Notice how these things are all under attack and are being diminished in a supposedly secular, Hmm. which isn't morally neutral, but they claim it is, secular country like Canada. The more God is shooed out, the more people are actually monitoring what you say, you know, trying to to, uh, thwart free speech. Now, free speech, biblically, just as an aside, Mm -hmm. free speech is biblically restrained by God's laws too. It's not, I can just say whatever I want. Sometimes we even get people in our own church that have this idea, oh, we we are proponents of free speech, I can say what I want. Well, no, you can't. Because your speech is actually restrained by God's laws. So gossip, slander, hateful rhetoric, these sorts of things are are out of bounds for Christians. Mm -hmm. But when you think of these countries, Cambodia, Pakistan, et cetera, the religions of these nations affect things like civil rights. So you have less, fewer civil rights in non-Christian countries. Uh, speech laws, you have more restraints. The, the, the less Christian a country gets, the more your speech is restrained. Economic policies become more disastrous. Religious freedom is limited. Rampant sexuality, promiscuity, STIs increase in countries that move away from God's law. So if you really love people, I'm going to call you out on this, if you're a real social justice warrior, if you really love people and you want people to flourish and you're concerned about poverty and you're concerned about uh, sex trafficking and you're concerned about people having their property confiscated, you should be front of a line to champion God's laws in culture. And when a culture is built on false gods or the in, even the inconsistent application of biblical law, because there's some quote-unquote Christian countries that say, well, they're Christian in name, but they inconsistently apply God's laws, and and then people are like, well, then I don't want anything to do with it. Mm -hmm. Disaster always strikes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So (laughs) you said it there about um, this is not white supremacy, uh, but it is pointing to a cultural supremacy when that culture is based on the authority of God's word, the, the, the standard he's set. Correct. Yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna walk around on pins and needles because people know I'm a white guy and allow, allow them to accuse me of white supremacy. If if you if you if you're gonna accuse people that talk the way I do of white supremacy, you're, you're just an idiot. Mm. Um, which, by the way, is a Greek word, itios. <laughs> um, but you're an idiot and you're a liar mm-hmm. and and you're trying to win a the argument by playing dirty pool. Mm-hmm. So I'm not gonna go around apologizing for that. 
the reality is Christianity, Christianity for the last several centuries has been represented primarily in European or European-based nations. But if you go back several centuries before that, it was very Middle Eastern or Northern African. And many of the church fathers that we celebrate or we study were not Europeans. They were from Northern Africa, or they were from what we now call the, the Middle East, from Egypt, from Asia Minor. So it's true that sometimes Christianity, in terms of its greatest representation, has has migrated around the globe. And obviously, we know it's migrating, unfortunately, out of a lot of European mm-hmm. nations. And maybe the the future cradle of Christianity, if you want to call it that, or the heartbed of Christianity, will be in in South America or be in Southern Africa or in Asia. And then there's evidence that there's a lot of movement toward Christianity there. Well, let's just suppose we fast forward again 500 years and Europe, people of European descent were like almost none of them are Christians, but you went to, I don't know, China mm-hmm. and suddenly 99% of people were Christians. Well, then would you say, oh, you're, if they're promoting Christianity, would you say, oh, you're like uh, Asian supremacists? Mm-hmm. It, like these are all just tricks that people play to try yeah. to silence you, to try to yeah. make you feel bad about who you are or where you came from or whatever. Yeah. And I, I'm just not going to even spend any time defending that because if if your IQ is so low that those arguments appeal to you, then really nothing I'm going to say is going to get through or make a difference. Good. And I love the fact that it's unapologetically proclaiming the superiority of God's laws and God's ways, right? Regardless so. of your ethnoi. Exactly. Okay, so let's talk about the the problem with Canada's sacred cow of multiculturalism. Most people I think would instinctively think, "Oh, multiculturalism's good." Is it? No, it's not. Now, if, again, if you look at John's apocalyptic vision, we have all the tribes coming people from all tribes, not all the tribes, people from all the tribes, tongues and nations of earth worshiping the the lamb. In the great commission, we're told to go cross those ethnic barriers, go to the all, the all the nations of the earth and preach the gospel, which the church, by the way, has done. I don't think there's any nation on earth that hasn't had some evangelistic witness in it. So the biblical vision is for people from all those different ethnoi to worship the true and living king. That is happening, and that will happen in the eternal order of things. But modern multiculturalism is not that. That's not that. Multiculturalism is a celebration of all people worshiping all sorts of gods, Mm -hmm. which is not the eschatological vision of of Revelation. It's not that everyone's going to be there worshiping their own god. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Look at heaven. There's there's a guy over there worshiping the Buddha, and someone's worshiping Muhammad. No, he's worshiping Christ, and this guy's worshiping himself. This guy's over there staring at his belly button, and this guy's doing whatever. Mm -hmm. No, that's not the biblical vision. The biblical vision is that people from all tribes, tongues, and peoples will worship the eternal lamb. And so this is not merely, this is a religious question. Multicultural, when you say we're multicultural, we need to champion multiculturalism, what you're actually saying is we're championing idolatry. We're saying no matter what God you worship, and we see this in, in the modern vernacular, well, you just believe whatever you believe. No, no. I mean, I, I know that people can believe whatever they believe. We're not going to say, oh, yeah, that's a good thing. No, you can't believe whatever you want. You can't sleep with whoever you want. You can't take whatever you want. You can't say whatever you want. You are ultimately a creature that's accountable to a creator. Now, this 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 means that multiculturalism is actually a religious discussion. Mm-hmm. But it's not just a religious discussion. It's also... It's also a practical discussion. It's, it's, in actual fact, it's impossible to live in a properly ordered society that's multicultural. Why? Well, you're going to have clashes on every level. Remember I said culture is about values, and those values and those principles and the God you worship is reflected in, in your institutions? Mm-hmm. Well, in a multicultural society, let's say you're in— you champion public education. Okay, so what creation narrative are we going to teach? You have to pick one. And in in Canada, they pick an atheistic one, a Darwinian one. And if you're a creationist, a theist, you're a weirdo, and you're not allowed to teach in our faculty. Mm -hmm. 
So that's not multicultural. You have clashes in medicine. So we saw this during the pandemic, where in the Darwinian worldview, science is the supreme arbiter of truth. It is almost like the Christian view of divine revelation. We put divine special revelation on the top shelf. Christ in scripture, the words of the prophets and apostles are special revelation. In the Darwinian construct, the, the biotic sciences, the biological sciences are supreme. And so you reduce humanity down to its biotic aspect. And science then is dominated by people that have an insufficient anthropology. Their anthropology doesn't take into consideration the soul, the spirit of, of humanity. You have clashes about law. Oh, this law is about determining what's right and wrong. How do you determine what's right or wrong? By democratic vote? Are you kidding me? Of democratic vote, so we become the arbiters of what's right and wrong? It, 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 it's, it's impossible to have consistency in your law codes without an ultimate standard. We have clashes about human identity. This is a major clash, in, especially in Canada and the U.S. And I would say in Great Britain, too, where we say, no, your, your identity is creationally defined. They say it's self-defined. So this is why you have people denying creational realities, which are reflected in their biology, i.e. Y chromosome or X chromosome, and saying, I, I'm genderless, I'm non-binary. There's clashes about free speech and censorship. Am I allowed to put up my hand and say, I don't agree with that? Or do I automatically get censored? Am I allowed to enter into a robust dialogue with a homosexual to try to convince them that heterosexuality is God's creational ideal? Oh, no, we're going to censor that. We're going to fine you. We're going to charge you for doing that. And then clashes about church and state and, and of course, other religions as well. Who has authority over the, 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 uh, the, the church's commands to, to meet and to celebrate the Lord's Supper and to visit the sick and to administer the Holy Kiss? Who has authority over these things? In, in a multiculturalism society, multicultural society, this, this, these subjects become chaotic. Mm -hmm. You only have more division. Canada, for example, is, is more divided in 2023 than it was in 1973 when I was born. By far. Mm -hmm. By far. In grade five, my teacher, who was not a professing Christian, read us the Bible. We said the Lord's Prayer every morning. People weren't suffering from that. It, it didn't lead to chaos. These young children, you know, 50 years old now, were inculcated with this notion. There's a supreme being called God that you're accountable to. How can that not bring blessing to the nations? So countries like Canada, the reason why they're so sickening is because they try to advertise themselves as diverse and open to all and inclusive. And you hear this from our supreme leader all the time, diverse, inclusiveness. It's all impossible. It's smoke and mirrors. It just leads to chaos. Mm -hmm. It leads to chaos. So Canada should be open. Canada should be open to immigrants of various ethnicities. We're, I'm a big fan of that, of various ethnicities. But we need a renewed commitment to uphold historic Christian culture from people coming into our country, or we will fragment. You'll come to a country for the benefits it offers, and those benefits will click, quickly disappear as the country increasingly becomes very chaotic. You know, for most people, this is all, they're not thinking very philosophically about these issues, or certainly not theologically. Mm -hmm. But if, on a, on a very practical level, if immigrants aren't exposed to a robustly Christian culture, the very things they seek here, like liberty and opportunities to raise their children in safety and security and to speak their mind and to exercise a measure of sphere sovereignty and to worship their God, it's going to go away. Mm -hmm. It's going to go away. So, you know, most people would, would realize that if, if, you, if you have a de democratic country, for example, it, it'd be kind of dumb to invite open anarchists into your country as immigrants or open brazen communists into your country as immigrants like but we do and it's like a, if you're a, a 
the chief of a police department. Are you going to hire someone onto your police department who is anti-police? No, to, to bring someone into an institution, to kind of mm-hmm. bring this down to brass tacks a little bit, to bring people into an institution requires you have to agree to certain things. To be a Christian pastor, you have to be a theist who actually believes in God and the authority of Scripture. To be a police officer, you have to be pro-police. To be the leader of a democratic country, you have to be in favor of democracy. To come into Canada, the UK, or the US, oh, it's such a bad thing to require people to, to respect our belief in the supremacy of the Christian God. Mm-hmm. It's... It's 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 such common sense, but people have have forgotten about it. There, there's about thirty countries. I, I looked at this up. There's about thirty countries around the world where the heads of state must adhere to a particular religion to be in office, mm-hmm. and most of those, interestingly, are Muslim countries. Mm-hmm. And we have a lot of people coming here from Muslim countries that are leaving countries where the ruler of their uh, country is must be a Muslim. Why are you leaving there if that's such a great law code to live by? Well, because it doesn't work, or they want to bring Islam to the West. Okay, well, I understand if I was a Muslim, I'd want to do the same thing. But those of us that are Christians need to sort of sit back and think, okay, is that your plan? Because that's not going to work here. So I'm, I I have... Um, I don't believe in like closing down mosques or saying, you know, you, you can't be a, you, you have to worship the Christian God. But if you're going to, and this is where it's going to, it's it's awkward for people from other religions, but they somehow the issues with them, not, not with Christians. If you're going to come to a historical Christian country, you need to at least respect the historical boundaries of the Christian nation. By the way, all these woke, woke um, politicians know this. Look at Justin Trudeau. When he goes to India, what does he do? He dresses up like a Hindu. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he goes to, uh, you have these Western liberal female politicians from Canada, the U.S., when they go to a Muslim country, they throw on a hijab. Because mm-hmm. they, <laughs> it's, it's, they know they need to respect that culture. But somehow, when you come here, you don't have to respect the historic Christian ideals of our nation, and there's there's some discrepancies there. Now there are there are a um, I'll just make one other point, with the exception of maybe Saudi Arabia and some of these places where people move because they have engineering jobs because there's a lot of oil and a lot of wealth. It is notable that people from second and third world countries typically tend to head toward historically Christianized countries, not Muslim countries. The head of state is Islamic. Because I'll just say it straight out, Islam is a false religion. And people obviously want to go to, and by the way, they would say that about me because I know lots of Muslims, and they would say Christianity is a false religion. Mm-hmm. So objectively speaking, don't get your shorts in a knot about that. That's Say what you believe. Um, people don't want to immigrate to those countries because there's not the kind of liberty they would expect. Take Lebanon, for example. The president must be Christian. I use that term in the broadest sense. The prime minister must be Sunni Muslim. Yeah, everyone's flocking to Lebanon. Like, how's that working when you have sort of the head of state and the second in charge mm-hmm. holding to two two different religions? Now, at least they're Abrahamic in origin, but there's still conflict there. But try, try creating a country where you're mixing theism with atheism, at least Islam is theistic, Christianity's theistic. So the president and the prime minister of Lebanon are theistic. Try mixing a theistic president with an atheistic prime minister, and then you're adjudicating on matters, you're trying to cast vision for a country, you're trying to promote views of marriage or uh, social justice. It's not going to work. So part of my job is, is to just tell the truth and I'm just identifying here some of the nonsense and the the inconsistencies that we see in Canada. In Canada, why do we have a king? And and I don't think Charles is a born-again Christian at all. But why do we have a king that affirms the Christian faith and is the defender of the Christian faith, but a prime minister that legislates against Christianity? Mm It doesn't make sense. And this is why you have chaos in Canada. Yeah, yep. 
Okay, this brings to mind a couple of peripheral questions that I think some of our listeners will be leaning in for. Um, one of them being a very foundational question of marriage. Should we oppose interracial marriage? Not obviously interracial, interethnic, I guess, because race, race doesn't exist, but you get the yeah, idea. Yeah. No, it's, it's not a problem at all. Um, people can... People can marry people. It doesn't matter whether you're from a quote unquote different race, different ethnic group. If what matters in the word of God is that you worship the same God. So there's a prohibition in the New Testament that a believer, meaning a follower of Jesus Christ, is not to marry an unbeliever. They're not to be unequally yoked. Mm -hmm. And that applies, by the way, beyond marriage to contractual relationships, business relationships where there's a there's equality, you're yoked together. Illustration there being that when you're plowing a field and with two animals, they have to be a sort of equal strength and equal background in order to get the job done. You're going to be going in circles, you know, if you tether an ox to a mini donkey or something. Mm -hmm. So uh, Christians should only marry Christians, but there's absolutely nothing wrong. And in fact, there's a lot right about Christians marrying people from other ethnic groups. We have that in our church. No problem there whatsoever. So we're not we're not in any way, shape, or form opposed to quote unquote what the what the culture calls interracial marriages. Although again, the word race is a fake word. Uh, they're just pe people are people, mm -hmm. and if you are if your family ancestry in the last let's say five hundred years originates from Africa and your spouses originates from Asia, great. Mm -hmm. If your you originate from Europe and your spouses originate from the Caribbean islands. Great. No problem. There's, there's no, that's not, we're not, we're not, we're not even talking about that, but I understand that sometimes people might draw conclusions mm -hmm. from our, uh, podcasts that are inaccurate. So it, it's, it's a good question. Yeah. Um, another one, and this may be a little bit of a hot topic in Canada, especially is the indigenous issues, um, what what would you say to that? I guess address yeah, that. Sure. Yeah. So I mean, the reality is is that Canada came into existence in um, 1867, and the Europeans had been here since the 1600s. And before the Europeans, there were various indigenous tribes and nations scattered all over what we now call North America, and um, presumably sometimes they gave a, got along really well and presumably at other points they killed each other and warred on each other just like human beings have done throughout human history and in Canada of course is a little, little different than the US and, and I don't know I, I've read uh, aspects of different treaties but what's interesting is when the Europeans came there obviously were skirmishes and there was a, a, a abuse from Europeans to some of the um, you know, indigenous peoples of of what is now Canada, but there was also a lot of collaboration. There was intermarriage. A lot of Quebecois, uh, French Canadians, uh, will tell you they have indigenous blood in them because their forebears in the 16, 17, or 1800s intermarried with indigenous peoples, as has happened throughout all of time, where people, um, people, uh, you know, young man meets young woman, falls in love. They don't come from the same ethnoid, but they marry and have children. And, you know, it just, it goes from there. It's the story of, of the world since almost the beginning of time. But there were various treaties that were signed. And one of the, one of the confusing things about treaties, best as I understand it in Canada, is that some of the treaties were written and uh, even the king, I think in 1763, you know, issued a proclamation that gave the indigenous people certain lands. Um, and, and European people weren't allowed to buy those lands from the indigenous folks without the, the king could, but it had to be a fair price and whatnot. So there was some protections put in place, but then uh, governments changed um, there were 11 additional treaties that were eventually signed between 1718, even I think up till about 1920 between different, um, uh, indigenous groups. But the, you think, okay, well, why can't we just go back to those written treaties? Because a lot of the indigenous people say, well, some of them we didn't understand. We didn't understand the wording because of, um, linguistic differences. So what does seed mean? You know, 
C-E-D-E. They may not have understood that they're ceding land. Uh, some of them thought of some of the land transfers as sharing of land rather than the giving away of land. Some of the treaties uh, were oral rather than written. So in addition to the, the, the various written treaties, some of them were oral. Some of them contradicted each other. And also a lot of the indigenous peoples had a different view of what a, uh, a treaty was. Like they, they would have these belts that would often be put together to, to symbolize treaties and the, and the Europeans wouldn't have recognized the legality of that, but some of the indigenous people did. Mm. So you have this a conflation of issues. You have various treaties, you have exchanges of government, you have intermarriage, you have times of peace, you have times of conflict, and it really is legitimately a messy issue. And you know, it's it's been said many times you can't unscramble an egg. I don't think we can unscramble this issue. I don't I don't think anybody can say, you know, I I'm the person that fully understands all the historical issues. I, I'm the person that fully understands all the treaties. I'm the final authority on who abused who and what was said and what wasn't said. I, I don't think we can do that. But I would say in principle, because I believe in nationhood, that if, for example, indigenous peoples saw themselves as a nation and they could produce in whatever form treaties that were signed by historic Europeans, that those treaties should be honored. Um, those, those treaties should be honored. And if a distinct group of people wants to form a distinct nation, as much as you know, it'd be kind of nice to keep Canada together, if indigenous peoples want to form or be identified as a distinct nation, or if the Qu Quebecois want to separate from Canada and form a distinct nation, or Alberta wants to separate and form a distinct nation, I don't think that's something to go to war over. You know, pe people can, groups of people can, can self-govern and you may not like it. It may be disastrous economically. It might make you feel bad. But there's nothing innately wrong with saying, you know, we, we want to form a distinct nation. But the problem is, is that they have this convoluted mess. So speaking from the vantage point, perhaps of indigenous people, they would say, look, we were here first. We had these treaties. We were promised this, we were promised that. And why aren't you giving it to us? But then speaking from the perspective of the quote unquote colonialists or the Europeans and all the other people groups that have come here since, they're like, okay, well then form your own nation, but don't expect us to pay for it. So if you're if you're gonna form your own nation, self-govern. And right now there's this weird dynamic where there's a certain recognition of self-governments, but it's largely funded by the taxpayers. And I think that breeds resentment on both sides. So I don't have a I don't have a simple answer um uh to that question, but I will step out on a limb, a very secure limb, a very stout limb, and I will say this that Christianity is not the white man's god. Christianity is the truth for all nations. And so whether you are quote unquote, indigenous to North America or indigenous to Europe or indigenous to Africa or indigenous to Asia or a mix of any of those things, all nation states are blessed when they properly live out the Christian faith regardless of their ethnicity. So ultimately, strife and division and chaos is minimized when any people group acknowledges the true and living God who created all things. And so, you know, my ultimate heart is that all nations on earth, and they will one day, but all nations on earth will acknowledge the supremacy of the, the true and living God and be blessed by him as a result. That's mm -hmm. a, a, a good stick handling there <laughs> of that thorny issue. And yeah, it doesn't, uh, doesn't also minimize the issue and suggest trite answers. So I think that's, it's helpful. Any concluding words as we uh, wrap up today? Well, I just want to end by acknowledging that Canada is a spiritual mess. And so we, we've, we've talked about maybe what a properly ordered society looks like and who you should let in and, and what the expectations should be, like what's on the application, what do the interviews look like? These would be the ways you would put this material into practice. But Canada is a mess, so I, I don't have this idea that, well, come to Canada, we're awesome, we're Christian, you just need to come and agree with what we're at, where we're at, because again, we are a spiritual mess, and we do, we do need to preach the gospel boldly, we do need to see 
more people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And, and I don't deny that in any way, shape, or form, but the purpose of this podcast is not so much about that. It's just to help people start to think structurally about what a properly ordered society looks like. And in order for that, in order for a society to be properly structured, we need to think not just about the social expectations once you're in the country, which we all acknowledge. Mm -hmm. You can't break into people's businesses. You can't squat on people's property. We know that there's expectations once you're in, but I'm not sure we're thinking too much about what are the expectations we should have to get in. Mm -hmm. So everyone's in favor of law and order once you're in, standards of behavior, you could say, why are we not talking more about the standards of behavior to get in mm -hmm. to the country in order that the historic commitments that have blessed this nation can be uphold, upheld? And there's nothing racist about that because uh, if, if society is properly ordered and that cr those Christian uh, roots are acknowledged in society, in, in theory, you actually open the doors for more people from more countries, from more tribes, tongues, and languages to come to our country and be blessed, as was God's uh, original ideal and as is his eschatological ideal. So in fact, this is uh, true inclusivity, true, true inclusivity, true diversity. The bedrock of that is an acknowledgement of the supremacy of the true and living God and and, and so only good can come out of that. And so we're, we're anything but uh, carte blanche anti-immigration. We're, we're pro-immigration. We all are immigrants, but we want people to come to a country that's worth living in and worth protecting. And that means that it must be founded and grounded on the, the laws of the true and living God. Mm -hmm. Well said. Good. Well, thank you, Aaron. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in today uh, to another episode of Leadership Now. If you've got an opportunity to share this podcast with somebody, that'd be a, a blessing, a good way to get it out and to spread the word about it. A reminder that you can find this on all podcasting platforms, but specifically on the pursuitofglory.org website, Aaron's resourcing site, as well as the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network and their new app that they've put out as well. We invite you to tune in next week to another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock.